Well, we are in the middle, or actually in the end, of our series, I Deserve It. And what we've been talking about is this idea that even though we oftentimes attach this connotation of if I don't get what I deserve, somebody has shorted me, somebody has, has let me down, somebody has um, not recognized my work or my influence or whatever it is, but then there's a flip side of that, the idea that if I don't get what I deserve, that means that someone has had mercy on me, that someone has had restraint in the way that they've dealt with me. Now, here's the truth when it comes to today. I, I wish that you never had the experience of someone truly giving up on you. I, I don't wish that experience on anyone. And I also hope, I, I hope that you've never actually fully given up on someone yourself. But the truth is, my assumption, which is most likely accurate, is that you have experienced someone else giving up on you, and then at some point you've given up on someone else. And what that means is that at some point, you ran out of hope for someone. And that someone ran out of hope for you. And the truth is, giving up on someone, that idea, is really counting them out. It's really not fair, especially if you're a follower of Jesus. Because here's the thing. If anyone truly deserves to be given up on, it's us. We deserve for God to give up on us every day because we can't keep it together any day. We sin, we struggle, we mess up, we drift, we sometimes even deny, and yet God never gives up on us. He never counts us out, even though we absolutely do deserve it sometimes. How can we justify giving up on one another if he won't give up? On us. And so today, as we close out this series, I want to look at one more story from Scripture. I'll tell you what, I I really have enjoyed this series. I've enjoyed looking at these specific stories. I've enjoyed what God has had to teach us about giving and forgiving and being merciful and all of those things that He is for us. And what that means is that we should carry those things on into our lives. And so today, we'll close it in a couple of different Gospels. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, they all tell the story of Jesus' life. And there is a lot of crossover information. There are a lot of stories that appear in all the Gospels. But there are also some details that you can learn from the different specific authors. And so we'll jump around a little bit today, but spend most of our time in Luke's account of our story in Luke chapter 22. And the the scriptures in in your bulletin will also be on the screen. Our story today is about a guy who really, really messed up. Really messed up. I mean, big time. To the point that the truth is he deserved to be counted out. He deserved to be given up on, especially from a human perspective by our standards. And there's a good chance you've heard of him. His name was Peter. Peter had a lot of moments in his life, if you will. Um, A lot of them recorded in Scripture where you kind of have to just look at what Peter did or what Peter said, and you kind of go, really, Peter? Like, really? Is that really what needed to happen? Peter, what what were you thinking? He often spoke up first, most likely while the other disciples of Jesus were taking that moment to decide if it was smart to speak. By the time they figured that out, Peter had usually already blurted something out. Peter didn't take that moment very often. He's also the one that when Jesus was walking on water, he was walking out 
on, on a stormy sea. The disciples were in the boat. Peter's the one that decided, hey, I want to walk on water too. And he hopped out. And it was fine. He, he walked on water until he took his eyes off Jesus and remembered, hey, I'm, I'm walking on water and it's not smooth water and it's scary out here. And he sunk and he had to be saved by Jesus. But in all of those moments, Peter had, I'm not sure we'd say at any point that, that we or Jesus should have given up on him or counted him out. Those were just moments you can get over until this moment we read about today. You know, we started this series on Easter, and so it's fitting that we close with a story that, that relates back closely to that. Not too long before Jesus was arrested and put on trial and crucified, he had a meal with his closest friends, with his disciples. And leading up to Jesus' arrest, Jesus said these words to the disciples according to Mark's account of the story in chapter 14, beginning in verse 27. On the way, Jesus told them, told his disciples, all of you will desert me, for the scriptures say God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I'm raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Peter said to him, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Never will. And there's Peter, not thinking before he speaks again. But here's the thing. I really believe that Peter believes this of himself. I don't think he was just trying to tickle Jesus' ears here. I don't think he was just trying to say what, what Jesus wanted to hear. I don't think he was trying to impress anybody. I think that Peter believes this of himself. That of all of these 12 disciples, if everybody else walks away, I won't. I think he really believes that. He wants that to be true. I think he was convinced that his commitment to Jesus was that strong. I don't really think this was an issue of arrogance. I really think he, ha he has confidence in his faith and his commitment. Luke's account picks up with more of the exchange between Jesus and Peter. In chapter 22, verse 33, Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. That's how much he believes that he's the guy that will stand strong. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me, deny three times that you even know me. Again, I don't think Peter was being arrogant. I think he really wanted to believe that he would go to jail, that he would die with him. That this is how he would function in the face of Jesus being arrested, no matter what happened. And so understanding that that's where Peter was, that that's how he felt, it really had to shake him when Jesus said, actually, you're going to tell people you didn't even know who I was. Talk about standing with me. You're going to say you never knew me. On some level, Peter had to feel like Jesus was giving up on him. That Jesus was counting him out. He, he didn't call out any other disciple specifically is likely to fall away, although they also didn't speak up the way that Peter did. He allows himself to be singled out and, and, and probably feels counted out. We jump ahead a little bit in Luke's account in verse 54, and following we begin to read what, what happened. And so they arrested him, him being Jesus, and led him to the high priest's home. And Peter followed at a distance. Now it's important we understand that when Jesus goes into this home, he won't come out looking the same. This is where they begin to, to punish Jesus, to, to honestly to beat him. They begin to inflict pain and don't stop until he breathes his last on the, on the cross. They, they take him in here and that's where it all starts. And Peter is close by. He's following at a distance. In verse 55, the guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it. 
And Peter joined them there. Now, now Peter honestly makes a series of mistakes here, and they're mistakes we can hopefully learn from, because it was one thing to stay somewhat close by wherever they took Jesus. It was, it was, it was one thing to be close enough to know when Jesus came out of the house, but, but here Peter actually sits down with the enemy, if you will. The guards are not on Jesus' side. They are with the accusers. They are here to protect whatever is happening inside and to keep other people out of whatever is happening inside. They're here to keep people from intervening in what's happening to Jesus. And so for Peter to sit down with them about a fire, around a fire is questionable. His first mistake is one we all often make. Honestly, he underestimated his own weaknesses. He underestimated his own weaknesses. We have to understand that all of us are absolutely capable of doing anything wrong at any moment. We are capable of sinning, messing up, falling short, letting God down, letting ourselves down, letting others down, falling away from the promises we make. We're capable of doing all of those things. We're capable of sin at any moment. And the moment that we think we aren't is the moment that we're most vulnerable. In fact, Paul wrote in his letter to the Corinthian church these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. If you think you're standing strong, be careful not to fall. And we want so badly to believe that there are things we would never do or things we could never do. Or, uh, but we also have to be aware of our weaknesses. And because we're human, we have many. Even the most self-disciplined, confident, calm, strong people can be incredibly weak and vulnerable at a given moment. I think it's part of being human. That's part of who we are. Maybe you've heard someone say something like this, and it seems kind of cliche, but it's also so stinking true, I can't deny it. Acknowledging weakness is the first step toward, toward true strength. It's true. We need to remember that. We should probably throw that on a t-shirt or something, I don't know. But we need to remember that. We need to be willing to acknowledge our weakness, because otherwise we will fool ourselves into believing we don't have any. Peter didn't recognize his own weakness. He said, I'll never leave you. Never is such a finite, strong word for Peter to say there. Up until now, everything Jesus had said happened. So when Jesus said, you will all fall away, Peter said, I forget everything that's happened. I know I won't. Never. He essentially made a guarantee. And none of us are strong enough to make that kind of a guarantee. We need, we need to recognize that we have weaknesses. And then the second mistake that Peter made was this. He, he followed Jesus at a distance. And for us, we can choose how close we are to Jesus. Some people want to be very close to Jesus, metaphorically, you know what I mean? They, 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 they seek him first every single day. They want to be in his word. They want to be guided by the Holy Spirit. They spend constant time in prayer. They want to be aware of his leading each and every day. They want to be serving him both inside and outside of the church. They want to know his will and live in it. But the thing is, for a lot of people, for some of us even, following Jesus at a distance is much more comfortable. Much more comfortable. Here's what I mean. A lot of people today want all the good stuff that Jesus offers. They want to stay out of hell and get into heaven. They want blessings and comfort and all of those things, but they don't want the cost of following Jesus too closely. They don't want the, the stigma that society puts on, on Jesus freaks or Bible thumpers. And we say, I'll take the blessings, but I'll do it as a distance so there's not much cost for me. And yet being close to Jesus is where we should want to be. We should want to be up close and personal with Jesus, close enough to hear his voice and sense his presence, 
We shouldn't be satisfied with, with being, you know, back row, get in late, leave early followers of Jesus. We should want to be the ones who, who are close to him, who have the best seats in the house for that relationship. It should be those who want to pursue him, who want his presence to lead us every day. Here's the thing. I believe that if Peter was physically close to Jesus, he never would have denied him. I believe that if Peter was physically close to Jesus, he wouldn't have denied him. Think about it this way. Just a few hours earlier, Peter was in the garden with Jesus when he was about to be arrested. And Roman soldiers came in. And if you remember the story, if you've heard this before, what did Peter do? Did he say, oh, I'm not with those guys? No, that's not what he did. He pulled out his sword and he chopped the guy's ear off. He was ready to fight for Jesus. And here's the thing. We don't talk about this. Was he aiming for this guy's ear? Honestly, I think he was aiming to kill. He was ready to kill if that's what it took to protect Jesus. He was saying, I will fight to the death for you, Jesus. Now, Jesus did heal the guy and made sure Peter understood that this was not how things were going to be. This was not the process. But Peter, when he was close to Jesus, he stood and fought. He really seemed to be ready to die, because when you swing a sword, you're saying, it's okay if you swing a sword back at me. And my guess is the soldiers were better shots than Peter was. But when Peter followed from a distance, suddenly he was much more vulnerable. The distance at which we follow Jesus matters. It makes a difference in what we experience when it comes to to blessings and goodness, and it makes a difference in what we experience when it comes to vulnerability. Peter made those two mistakes that we all make. He underestimated his own weakness, and he followed Jesus at a distance, and it, and it cost him. In verse 56, he continues, A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, This man was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I, I don't even know him. And that's one. And, and I don't know what Peter was thinking at that point. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. That's two. And again, I don't know what was going through Peter's thoughts. I'd like to know. But you might think that after one, maybe he was mad at himself and he said, well, I won't do that again. Do you think that after two, he was even more frustrated and more intent on not getting to three? Or do you think he was heartbroken that he had already denied Jesus twice? Maybe he was ready to give up. I don't know. But he definitely makes it to three. Verse 59, about an hour later, someone else insisted this must be one of them because he is a Galilean too. This story appears in multiple of the Gospels. And in Matthew's account, the third denial that Peter makes gets really intense. Um, In chapter 26, verse 74, Peter swore a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. Like he's saying, stop asking me, because the answer isn't going to change. I don't know him. I've never known him. I'm not one of them. It's not me. You're mistaken. Leave me alone. And if I'm lying, a curse on my head, which is a bold thing to say. We say, I swear now. We say, oh, I swear. And it doesn't mean anything, because we, we, it's lost its meaning. But to those people in that time, for him to say, a curse on my head if I'm lying, was a big deal. And this is the same Peter who only hours ago had said never, and now never has become three times. I've heard it said this way, the only person Peter had fooled was himself. 
The only person Peter had fooled was himself. We go back to Luke's account in verse 60, but Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And even though we can't read Peter's mind, I have to believe that that rooster had to have triggered him. I mean, he was fully in denial, but my guess is that that rooster's crow brought him back to reality, the real world, what was actually happening. And to make matters worse for Peter, we read this in verse 61. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind before the rooster crows. Tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Jesus had always been faithful to Peter. And Peter, with good intentions, had always intended to be faithful to Jesus. And yet here he found himself being about as unfaithful to Jesus as he could have been in this moment where Jesus needed his followers to stand in faith with him. And Jesus turned and looked at Peter, and it broke his heart. It had to. It had to. Sometimes the weight of our sin and our struggles breaks us until we cry out before God. Truthfully, it probably doesn't happen enough. Probably our struggles and our sins don't break us enough. Because when that happens, when we break, when we, when we break in front of God, this is a sign of repentance, not remorse. Remorse says, I'm sorry I got caught. Repentance says, I'm sorry I let you down. Don't miss this. Peter denied Jesus at a distance, but he realized the weight of what he'd done when Jesus was close again, close enough to look at him. That distance really does seem to matter. And I'll tell you what, Jesus refers to Peter at one point in Scripture as, as the rock, kind of nicknames him the rock, not to be confused with the wrestler, but as someone who would stand firm. That's a compliment. It's absolutely a compliment. And here's the rock crumbling, not once, not twice, but three times. And I don't think we're that different than Peter. And how many times have we made promises to God and a day or two later hadn't even come close to keeping it? And we we have this habit of saying, God, I'll never do this again. I just won't, but we still do. And we say, God, from this day forward, I'm going to seek you first, but we don't. And that very next day, we don't have the time for God or make the time for God, let alone putting him first. Here's the thing. Peter... Peter, he made a bold, finite promise to Jesus. He said, never will I leave you. And he was not faithful at all in that promise. He he deserved to be counted out. He failed at what he promised to do. And our track records would say the same thing. We deserve to be counted out. And yet, sticking with our story of of Peter, Jesus did not count him out. In fact, he gave him another chance. After Jesus had given his life on the cross and was raised from the dead, there was this this moment he has with Peter. It's recorded in John chapter 21, beginning in verse 15. It says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. And take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And I love this. The, the writer here says that, that Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Jesus asks him three times if he loves him. 
And I don't think that that's a coincidence. This is commonly called the moment where Jesus reinstates Peter. He reinstates Peter. But the truth is, Jesus never counted Peter out, so I'm not necessarily sure he needed to be reinstated. I really don't think so. Jesus gave Peter another chance, which was what he needed so much more than he needed to be counted out. And if you read on into the book of Acts, Peter doesn't waste this chance. He, he starts the church. He preaches the first sermon where thousands respond and are baptized. He started what really amounts to a revolution. You have to understand and wonder how Peter was so successful that day and beyond at helping people to understand their need for Jesus, except that it makes perfect sense. <clears throat> Who was better qualified to preach on repentance and forgiveness than the one who had repented and been forgiven by Jesus himself. For the one who had said, I will never leave you, I will never deny you, and, and, and then he did three times at the worst possible time he could do that. And yet Jesus said, it's okay, I will give you a second chance. Who better to preach on repentance and forgiveness than Peter? We are so quick to count people out. Like we're quick at counting ourselves out. But God isn't. In fact, a, pr a preacher said this regularly. I love this, and I wish I knew his name because I'd like to shake his hand. He said, never put a period where God put a comma. We give up, and we put a period, and we say it's over. But God says, it's not over until I say it's over. You and I, we have another chance. We deserve to be counted out, but he gives us another chance. Success is not final, and neither is failure. Life is ongoing and a bit of a roller coaster. Our growth as Jesus followers is, is never finished, and it won't always be trending in a positive direction, but it's not over until Jesus comes back. We absolutely deserve to be counted out. We deserve all the things that we've talked about in this series, but, but Jesus has seen fit to be the sacrifice that makes it possible for us to not get what we deserve. So today, don't count yourself out because God hasn't. Let's pray. God, we are thankful we don't get what we deserve. We, we get caught up in thinking pretty highly of ourselves. The truth is, we mess up all the time. We deserve death, but you give us life. We deserve condemnation and rejection and all the things that we've talked about in this series. We, we deserve them all. And yet you choose to accept us. You choose to, to show us mercy. You choose to give us another chance and another chance and another chance. And God, I do pray that we could have the strength to not need so many more chances, but we're thankful that, that you give them. God, you made it possible when you sent Jesus to this earth to, to die for our sins and to overcome death. And because of that, we can have life in you, and we're thankful for that. Of that to be our focus as we continue in our service, as we move into a time of communion. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're